Amen. Thank you, worship team. Huh? <clears throat> you guys ready for a three-hour sermon? Come on, man. What is this? Oh, you guys think I'm kidding. Oh, snap. Come on. Yeah, for, before we um, get into it, a huge, uh, huge thank you for uh, the staff, all the hard work you guys are putting into it. Can we just give them a huge clap? Huh? They've been doing so much stuff. It's been awesome. I just want to, uh, our, so we brought some people with us from Hong Kong, and a few of them, uh, they've actually been quite busy. This is the first service they actually are sitting in. And so uh, some of you guys met already, um, but I'll introduce uh, ones that you haven't met. This is Matt. Matt, can you wave your hand? This is Matt Chung. And he's, uh, he's actually, he's Korean, but raised in Hong Kong. And so his parents are missionaries in China. And so they moved to Hong Kong. You were what, 10 years old? 13. Okay. 13 years old uh, when um, they moved to Hong Kong. And uh, she's, he's married. He, he runs our, he's the head of our intercessor prayer team. And so, um, so he runs that. And then his wife, Rachel. Oh, she went up. Okay. She's doing something spiritual. So she went up. But Rachel uh, is actually on staff. She's the only one that's on staff here. And she runs our inner healing deliverance ministry that we call the river. Uh, that's kind of been going on uh, throughout the retreat. Um, this is Andrew, Andrew Lee. Raise your hand. Andrew is a CBC. He's a Canadian-born Chinese. Um, and he uh, is uh, in Hong Kong. And so he's one of our river uh, ministers. And Sandeep, where is Sandeep? Oh, he stepped out as well. He's also doing something very spiritual. Oh, there's Sandeep. So Sandeep is a Chindian. If you don't know what that is, he's a Chinese Indian. And so, well, he's Indian, but he's actually born and raised in Hong Kong, so he speaks Cantonese fluently. And so, uh, and he's, uh, he's a real man of God. He's also in a um, part of our river team, so they've been kind of ministering throughout. Um, our group, Sandeep is single, so <laughs> I noticed there's a lot of, no, Andrew's dating someone, man. What's up, Andrew? Andrew dating somebody? So, Sandeep is single, so if you ladies, you know. A lot of ladies here in the house. Um, and then I, I wanted to first just have a, a shout-out. My wife says hello, and she's uh, sorry she can't be here with us, but she's actually fasting for you guys this whole weekend. And so but she wanted to say hello. She says hi, Myungwa, to you especially. And stuff. So, um, and then I'm supposed to say hi to somebody. Um, there's a new, there's a brother that's been going to our church uh, for a little while, and he was part of your congregation, Ryan Vogel, right? Ryan, where's Ryan's girlfriend? You're supposed to be here. Hey, what's up? He told me to say hello to you. So, hello. Okay. Sorry, just, you know, preliminary. Um, but, oh, man, Ryan's a good guy. Don't, don't lose him. He's, he's a good guy. I met him at the, we had a men's retreat last month, so I met him at the men's retreat, and he's a really wonderful, wonderful young man. And so, all right, uh, tonight, um, I want to talk about something. It's really interesting 
these, uh, um, I actually have not even hardly touched these notes, but this is a message that God gave me for New Philly in 2015. And so in 2015, I was meant to speak at your retreat. Um, and I was meant to come. And then I, uh, got, got, I got hurt, basically. My Achilles ruptured. So I was playing basketball. I think it was like a week and a half before the retreat. And I was playing ball. I was at a tournament, and then I was playing the next day. And uh, I stole a ball. I was going on the court. I was about to dunk it, man. And then just, you know, in my dreams. Um, but then I just fell on the ground, and my Achilles just snapped. And uh, they, they actually, it was really gross. They actually found this one-inch, oh, should I say it? I have pictures, too. They found, they found this one-inch piece of bone growing in my tendon. And so every time I was moving, it was actually slowly slicing my tendon. And then it just, it just burst. It was crazy. If you like that kind of, I have pictures. I'll show you later and stuff. But it's, it, I was having so many injuries that calcium deposits were forming. And it actually created this bone chip that was growing inside. It was really crazy. And so, so I had this message um, for the church and you know what? Now that I think about it, it's actually much more appropriate now than it was in 2015. I, I, I didn't even preach this in my own church, right? Because there's no reason to preach it at SP. Not right now. Maybe later, right? And things. And so I've been holding on to this thing for, what year is it? 2018? Three years. Three years. <laughs> Trust me, I was an accountant. I know how to count, right? So... Um, but, uh, yes, I, I, I mean, I, I want to hopefully it speaks to you. And then I want to do something at the end of the service to kind of put this thing together. Um, but I want to talk about vision tonight. Vision. So turn to your neighbor. Again, what we've been doing. Say, hey, good looking. Vision. Just say vision. So my primary text is in Proverbs 29, verse 18, that many of you probably are very familiar with. Proverbs 29, verse 18. And he says, and where there is no vision, actually the word is revelation. Where there's no revelation, the people are unrestrained or they perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Let me, let me give you a better translation here. This is, this is Eugene Peterson, who you know heard the news. He just passed away recently. But what an incredible man of God that gave us this gift called a message. And this is one of my favorite translations. And I want you to know, Peterson, he is, he is an incredible scholar. And some of his translations are actually better than a lot of the English translations that we have. Um, and this is, I really like the, the one he uses here for Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. This is what he says. He says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I read that again. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Where there is no vision... The people perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, and we thank you for this church. Lord, you have uh, very specific, amazing things, God, that you want to do through this house, Lord. 
And Lord, and, and really, I'm just here to kind of just unpack some of these things, Lord, in the scripture, Lord, things that have been spoken over them that you have pronounced, God, that you have declared. Lord, your promises are yes and amen, God. And we look forward to the fruition of these promises coming to life and coming true. And so we thank you, Lord, for that. But right now, Lord, we just come humbly to your word, Lord. And we ask you to speak to us through it, God. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Ever at the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart, God. And so we humble ourselves before your word, God. To that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us, individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just to convey your words, God, but to convey your heart. And we thank you, Lord. We love you in this place, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, just very simply put, to have vision is to see. To have vision is to see. And so you have to recognize that when God gives a man or a church a vision, it's basically for us to see it before it happens. God give us, gives us revelation. You know, the, the, the thing that, that I enjoy, I'm, I'm honestly, like sermons, I love, I love sermons, man. I, I just do. I love, I love preaching. But for me, I actually really like preparing. And, and there, there's, there's always this kind of like mystery when we're preparing. It's like, oh, God, what are you going to reveal to me today? You know, like, like what do you want to say to our congregation this week? And so I, as I open up the scriptures, God brings revelation. And, and he allows me to go deeper in his word. And he, and he shows me things, you know, that, that, that I, you know, I didn't pick up in books or these other things. And it's just, it's just kind of like God's gift. It's like we're buddies, you know. And, and God, he speaks to his friends. I say this in my church all the time. All we are, we're just a bunch of dumb sheep, man. Right? We're, seriously, we're just dumb sheep. Uh, I, you know, have, you ever, have I ever talked about sheep with you guys before? You don't remember? Okay. You know, sheep, this is, you know, the Bible says in John, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You know, sheep are the, one of the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. You know, their IQs, their IQ ranges somewhere around 15. Medically, like an imbecile is like 60 or something. But sheep, I don't know how they judge this, but it's about 15. You know, sheep are one of the also laziest animals on the face of the planet. You know, one of the primary reasons why sheep die, you know what it is? Indigestion. They eat too much and they die. They're a bunch of gluttons. Sheep also are blind. That's why it's important to keep them together because they could wander off and enter into some wolf's den. You know, wolf's like, oh, someone ordered takeaway, you know, and also and he's, he's got this, you know, he's eating lamb that night. And, that, and that's what they'll literally fall off cliffs because they're blind. If you notice sheep, they're always looking down and they just follow the person in front of them. Otherwise, they go astray. And so and then God says, my sheep. hear my voice and they follow it's it's important for us to to recognize our place and who we are you know in this whole thing actually why was i talking about sheep what was, what was i talking about help me out somebody what was i, what was I saying what did i talk about sheep for what the heck 
We're a bunch of dumb sheep, vision. Okay, I figured out, I figured out. I'm eating too much Korean food, man. Like all my blood is in my stomach right now. So you guys got to help me out a little bit. Um, the, The verb of vision, to give you an idea, is imagination. It's imagination. And so you have to envision, imagination plays a part of this. A supernatural appearance that conveys a revelation. That's, that's what it means. Oh, I know why. I was talking about sermons. <laughs> Going back. That's why I love sermons. God, because I'm just, I'm just dumb sheep. But God just opens up the Bible. To me, it's so exciting. Because I know that has nothing to do with me. Because I'm just a dumb sheep. And so, but, but he opens it up. And this is the exciting part of this whole thing. Now, basically, when God gives a vision, what he's really doing is he's putting something of himself inside of you. Like this vision is not just about you. It's part of what God is doing. It's kind of who he is. And he puts a part of himself inside of every single one. This is what he's after. This is what he's doing. In this place, he puts himself in our hearts and our minds. It's basically what God wants to do through a body of believers in time and space. And so he gives people vision. Our, at, at Solomon's Porch, in our church in Hong Kong and our other churches that we have all over the world, our, our vision is really simple. It's a place where people can encounter God. That's, that's, that's all it is, more than anything else. Um, I, I had a... Um, uh, year, uh, years ago, when my kids were really small, um, my uh, so so you know I told you guys I have four kids. My daughter Elise is my eldest. She just turned thirteen. She became a teenager, uh, and then uh, my second daughter Emma uh, is uh, uh, eleven years old. Turned eleven in July. My third daughter Hannah turns eight uh, next week, actually on the fourteenth, and then my son just turned four. And so uh, when at that time when we only had three girls. Um, uh, I was actually, I was taking my, my two girls to Disneyland and my third daughter had to go with my wife somewhere. And so we're dropping them off at church and then I was going to take them to Disneyland because it's kind of on the way for our, from our home. And so, uh, so I was driving the car and I could hear my kids having this conversation and all of a sudden my, my, you know, my uh, daughter, Elise eldest asked Hannah, Oh, why are we going this way? Disneyland is that way. You know, you got to take the highway and go, you know, over to new territories and these things. Why are we going this way? And so uh, my, uh, you know, my Hannah says, oh, I'm going to church. And then my two older daughters said, what? You're going to church? Oh, man, we want to go to church. And like, dude, I was driving. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait. <laughs> What's happening right now? I'm like. And I was driving, and I turned over, I'm still driving safely, but I turned over and said, are you guys telling me that you'd rather go to church than Disneyland? And my kids said, yeah, we would rather go to church than Disneyland. And I was, I was blown away, so I'm still driving. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, I mean, any right-minded... And, these, at this time, my kids were like seven and five. So you rather go to church than Disneyland? Why? And my eldest daughter said, because, because church is where people can encounter God. 
And I was still driving, but I want to lift my hands and hallelujah. I'm serious, man. I was about to like pass the offering plate and because we're having church right now, right? Let's take an offering right now. I mean, it, was, it was crazy. And that's basically where we got our vision statement from. I mean, it's, it's, I mean we, we had it already, uh, you know, had this idea. But no, it's SP's a place where people can encounter God. That's, that's not our vision. That's his vision. He wants a place where people can come and they can meet with God. And it happens. Well, that's some crazy stuff. I'll just tell you one story. We had a, we had a brother at our, at our, well, he's now a brother, but he was married and he was, he was, okay, let's just be honest. He was unfaithful to his wife. They had two kids. She's actually Catholic, but uh, she was coming to SP and her, um, her friend, good friend was a member of our church. And so we're the college buddies, uh, you know, USC. And so they, so she started coming and that Sunday she, this, this lady, this married woman, it was going to be her last Sunday. And I mean, it sounds really dramatic. It was almost like a Korean drama. And she basically said, I'm going to come to church my last time. I'm going to say goodbye to God. I'm going to divorce my husband and I'm going to move on with my life. That, that was what she was going to do. So she's coming down the elevator from her home, you know, coming down to the parking garage to basically get her car and go to church and say goodbye to God and divorce her husband. So she's coming down, but then he's going up the lift. And so they meet on the ground floor. And so he turns and, you know, and he's, he's, he's a total pagan. And he says, what are you doing today? And she said, I'm going to church. Like, I've been going to church for like six months. You know, every Sunday I take the two kids to church, you know, while you fart around and do whatever you do. And so, so she, you know, basically, and he goes, well, out of the blue, he goes, I'll go. And she's like freaking out. Like, what, what are you going to go to church? Because she's going to church to say goodbye to God, get divorced, and move on with her life. And so... So she, you know, they wait for him. He gets, he gets dressed. He comes back down. They go to church. So obviously they come a little late now, you know, to church. And so he walks into the sanctuary. He sits in the back and we're worshiping the Lord. And he just starts crying. He just starts crying. He don't know why he's crying. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a proud Chinese man. You know, not quite the same as a proud Korean man, but still. <laughs> he's a proud Chinese Meaning, Korean men are really prideful. Right? That's, that's what I mean. That's not, a, that's not a, a take on Chinese men, right? So, Andrew, wherever, you, wherever you're at. So, but that, that's basically what happens. And he starts, he starts, and then he starts bawling. I mean, he just, he just has an encounter with God. He repents. He, he doesn't know what's going on, but he repents. He asks, his, he asks the Lord to say, sorry. He asks his wife for forgiveness. You know, and the guy gets radically saved. He, I mean, he's, uh, he gets baptized, you know, like a month later. He actually shares this testimony in front of our whole church. So they are now, they moved to Australia, so they're out in Sydney. Um, they actually own a, a, a huge ranch. They make the best Wagyu, man. I mean, their steak is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, sorry. I, we, we, we like food. And uh, he's got a ranch. They just had their third child. Right? I mean, their marriage totally healed. I mean, just, it wasn't, I like to say that it was my message that Sunday. <laughs> but I didn't even speak yet. It was totally the Holy Spirit, a place where people can encounter God. Again, that's not my vision. That's not our vision. 
That's God's vision. See, when he gives a vision, he gives a, a piece of himself to us. This is what he wants to see happen. This is what he's looking at. You know, we uh, remember uh, Ezekiel, we see dry bones. God sees an army. It's totally different. The way he looks at things, the way we, we look at things are just radically different. And so this is what vision is. It's what God wants to th- do through a body of believers in a particular time and space. Um, you guys know I love sports, but uh, so Wayne Gretzky is considered the greatest hockey player of all time. And he's so, he's so great, his name is the great one. I mean, what a great name. He is the great one. He also has some great quotes. This is one of them. He says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Isn't that awesome? That's actually my basketball philosophy. All right? So, you know, when I used to play, they used to call me the black hole. <laughs> you know what that means? Like the ball comes in, the ball never goes out. <laughs> it becomes a black hole. But you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. But my favorite Gretzky quote is actually one that pertains to vision. This is what he says. He says, a good hockey player plays where the puck is, where the puck is. A great hockey player plays where the puck is going to be. Yeah, that's, that's deep, man. I'm a, from a Canadian hockey player, crazy, right? I mean, it's nuts how this goes. But that's what vision is. Vision allows us to see where God is going, what God is doing, beyond what we can see with our earthly eyes, beyond what we can see with our earthly imagination. It's what God is doing. When God gives a vision, what he's basically doing is he's giving promises to his leaders to keep them going. That's the key. It's an encouragement to keep them going. Life is tough. There's difficulties on the road. But we are reminded of the vision that God gave for us, and it keeps us going. That's what vision does. That's why vision is so important. Where there's no vision, there's death. The people perish. They're unrestrained. In other words, they they go all over the place. There's no clarity of direction of what's happening here. And so it's important for us to understand that. Now, um, as a pastor, I've been a senior pastor for quite a long time now. In my humble journey of being a leader, I recognize that vision has a cycle. Vision has a cycle. Now, God works differently in people's lives, but I, I want you to know the process is usually the same. The process is very similar. Remember, the Bible, Corinthians tells us that our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. Actually, that passage is what set all these scientists to go out and study nature and biology and all these things. If you actually, if you actually look at all the early uh, discoveries of science, they were all Christians. Copernicus, uh, uh, um, uh, Galileo, uh, Newton. I mean, all these guys, and if you look at major spheres of influence, all believers, because they said God was a God of order, and because he does things orderly, in other words, he works in processes that they can grasp and understand, and thus be able to have a better understanding of who God is. And that's, that's basically uh, how this thing works. Uh, where there's no vision that people understand, they, they perish. And so, th- again, the, 
they seem to be work differently, but the processes are very similar. This is basically how it goes. And tell me if this has been your journey. You come to faith, and then there's growth, and then there's trial, and then you overcome, you obey, and blessing begins to flow. That's, that's basically how it works. Right? It's, you, you come to faith, there's growth, but there's always a trial that happens there. And then you overcome the trials and out of obedience, and then blessing begins to flow through our life. You know, we're having a, a dinner uh, tonight uh, with a couple of really wonderful ladies, and, and we're talking with them. And, and I was just sharing them kind of like our leadership process and what we do at our church. And so, like, uh, like people come, and, and, you know, we have leaders, and, and our leaders have been actually leaders for a long time. And so, but every once in a while, one of our leaders will come and say, oh, I want to quit. Like, like this, is, this is too much. And I just tell him, I said, well, you're, asking, you're actually asking the wrong guy. Like, you're, you're here for my You don't need my permission. You need God's permission. Now, let me take one step back, explain what that does. In our church, I don't ask people to step into leadership. That's not my role. My role is to identify leaders. That's one of my main roles. But it's up to God to ask them. And so, like, let, let's say, like, when, I, when Matt uh, and we were, you know, we needed an IP leader, and so I, I was praying, I felt like, you know what, I, I think there's something on Matt to do this. So I go to Matt, I say, Matt, can you be an IP leader? I don't ask him that. I said, Matt, can you pray to the Lord and ask him if he would have you do this, right? And so then he goes and talks to Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, Matt, you can do it, okay? And then three months later, Matt comes to me because he's got, like, this crazy person in his ministry, like, everyone's got one crazy person in their ministry. You know what I mean? You know, the one person that drives you crazy all the time. And so, you know, there's got, got the one crazy, the thorn in the flesh. And then, and then Matt, Matt is like, oh, man, this is, no, I want to quit. That's, that's what, I want to quit. And so Matt comes to me, and he arranges a, a lunch meeting, you know, and he, he dines me because he, he, he wants permission for something and stuff. And, and then he goes, you know, peace, Sam, I really, I really feel like I should really step down for, you know, and he gives me all these spiritual answers. And I said, well, actually you're asking the wrong guy because I didn't ask you to do this. Remember God asked you to do this. And so I said, I think you need to go talk to God. And sure enough, he goes and talks to God. And what does God say? Don't quit. <laughs> Honestly, like 99% of the time, God says, you just started, man. Don't quit. You know why? This is what's wrong with, with Western Christianity that we see in, in, the modern, in the modern world right now. is because at the first sign of difficulty, people quit. You have no idea that the enemy knows that on the other end of that obedience is a breakthrough. Like you're, you're about to step into a whole nother level. The devil don't want you to step into a whole nother level. So he brings difficulty your way. And if you would just simply, just, it's just a little bit, just overcome a little bit, bam, you would break through into a whole nother level. And so, and that's basically what's been going on in our church, right? Guys just don't quit. You know, I mean, God will move people in ministry sometimes, of course, but it's God's doing. It's, it's, it's simply how it works. But, but this is, see, you, you, you have faith. You grow and trials come. Difficulty will always come. He says, Paul says, those that desire to live godly will be persecuted. He said, consider all joy, brothers, 
when you encounter various trials. Because there's a testing. It's, it's important that that happens. It's, it's, it's a part of God's process. It's, it's, it's what he does. It's a cycle of growth that happens in our life. But, but people are so easy to quit. At the first sign of difficulty, I give up. I give up. That's weak, man. That's weak. You can't do that kind of stuff. You have to persevere. It's amazing that when Jesus especially talks about prayer, he always talks about perseverance. Right? That's his main message in, in when he talks about prayer uh, to his people. And so you've got to understand that this, this, is, this is the way it works. See, God's dealings are so contrary to what happens in the world today. Because in the world, everyone wants a shortcut. Everyone, I mean, if, if, you, if you're in the U.S. and you stay up late night and you see these infomercials, you know, and these guys come on and they have like these washboard abs. They're like, you can have these abs in five minutes a day. And I said, no way, Jose, man. There ain't no shortcuts to this. And brothers and sisters, there are no shortcuts in our Christian faith. It's a, but, but we're a generation, we want shortcuts. We want the easy way. We want to be comfortable. We want the world. We want to we serve God, but we don't want God to impose himself upon us. Like we want, you know, we want to, I, I, uh, I, I was with this missionary. Um, he was actually in North Korea. So I was with this missionary in North Korea, and we were, we were talking and stuff, and he was, he was kind of venting, you know. And, you know, it's, we're, we're close, so he was venting to me. And it was crazy. He's saying, all these people moved to China. He had a base in China, uh, in northern China next to the border. He goes, all these people moved to China and to, to go into North Korea, most, mostly non-Koreans. And, they, and it's great. They do that. They all go in there, and, and they're so excited. They want to go to North Korea. They want to save North Korean people and all these things. But they refuse to learn Korean, and they refuse to eat kimchi. Now, you know, he's, he's a Korean guy, so he's... And he says it's the most disheartening things that he sees. And he says that guys, like, so they share, uh, so he houses them, he trains them. They share this thing. And, like, in the, in the refrigerator, they're, like, marking down their items. You know what I mean? Like, this yogurt is mine. You know, like, this, this food is mine. And they're marking down these items. And my friend is pulling his hair out. He's like, you guys want to go to North Korea? And save North Korean people. But you refuse to share your yogurt with your brother next to you. You know how crazy that sounds? Are some of you guys convicted right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 Because we're looking for these shortcuts. We want God to do great things with our life. But we're not willing to pay the price. Or better say, we're not willing to pray the price. And it's crazy how that works. It's crazy, but there's a process that happens. This world is always looking for shortcuts. There's no shortcuts, man. Right? You know what I mean? Listen, you know how you get long-suffering? You suffer a long time? <laughs> I know that sounds like a Chinese joke, right? You suffer a long time. It's just true. You are long-suffering. You suffer a long time, man. That's how it works. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing. We, we, we don't grasp some of these aspects and some of these ideas. I give I give an example. There was a there was a famous survey of millennials. 
How many millennials are in this room right now? Dang, so many millennials, man. You're not going to be so happy after I give my illustration <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> there was this, I mean, you ever heard this? There's this famous survey about millennials and their work habits. And bosses of millennials were asked to describe them and their work habits. Then they asked the millennials what their bosses would say about them. And they particularly used the, the words that started with the letter E to describe their work habits. When the millennials were asked, you know, basically um, what their bosses thought about who they, their work habits and how good they were and all these things, they used words like excellent, enthusiastic, encouraging, and extraordinary. So they were, you know, what will your bosses say you are? Oh, I'm, I'm extraordinary. I'm excellent. I'm enthusiastic. I'm all these things. And you know what the bosses use? They only use one word. You know what it was? Entitled. Entitled. You young punks, you want the corner office and you don't pay any dues. You want the high CEO salary and you're unwilling to work late at night or over weekends. I mean, it's crazy. You are part of a generation Right? That is so entitled, man. It's jacked up. Obviously, you got to get your life in order right now. I'm serious. Don't be one of those millennials. Be a different kind. Be a God-centered one. Don't look for shortcuts in your life. There are none, by the way. It's hard work. It's hard work. But that's what we should be used to as the body of Christ. You know what I mean? And Paul says, man, I buffet my flesh. It doesn't mean he goes to buffet, right? Like some, some millennials are like, he's like, I buffet my flesh. He goes at it. And he works hard in this thing. It's important for us to grasp these ideas. So don't, don't let me start going off, man, all right? So keep me in check. You guys praying for me, right? Keep me in check. I, I can go off on some major tangents here. But vision cycle. Again, I got four points, okay? Four points of what typically happens in a vision or how vision works. Number one, number one, it's envision. You have to envision it. In other words, you have to put yourself in the vision. Do you see yourself in that vision? We need to create a way to step into that vision. How do you see yourself, and it's particularly in the vision of this church? Do you even know what the vision of this church is? What is the vision of New Philadelphia Church? I know it. Raising, right? That's it, right? Yeah. Was well, that what it means? I thought it was raising up a warriors. What is the exact title? What is the exact vision? Of mighty warriors. Oh, from the Valley of Dry Bones. Okay, that's where the dry bones. I was like, what? I don't remember any bones in this vision. <laughs> so I went to your website, man. I was like, bones? I, I just saw it raising up a mighty army. That's a, that's a powerful vision, man. That's amazing. Raising up a mighty army. Do you see yourself in that vision? You have to envision it. It's got to be a part of this. We, 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 we went through this as a church. Now, I know, listen, this, this might bring up some 
some difficult memories for you guys. But I want to talk about in our context, okay? One of, the, one of the biggest things that we went through in our church was a capital campaign. We, we, we actually, we started, we called it a building fund. And we realized that we're actually not giving into a building, we're giving into a vision. And so we changed the name into a vision fund. Now, I know some of you guys, this is a trigger word, okay? And so, so just like, just, just let that simmer down for a, for a moment. Uh, honestly, it's just that simmer down and just, just kind of hear what, I, what I'm saying. Uh, and, and we're not starting a, a new building fund, okay? But, but let me just share our journey uh, of what we went through as a church. Because this is really important for us. And, and because this, this basically gave our congregation the opportunity to see themselves in that vision. It was huge. They, saw, they had to see themselves in that vision or else there's no way that we could do this. And so we, we, we went through this campaign, and it, you know what was great about it? it be, is because it made us ask a bunch of questions. And the first thing was, well, why would people give their hard-earned money to this church? Because, I mean, we we're, were trying to raise $100 million, right? Uh, Hong Kong, which is uh, like $13 million U.S. dollars, right? Not, not, not that much. And so, and so but, but that was, you know. No, but to our congregation at that time, we were about 120 people, it was, it was pretty big, right? So 120 of us, and, and, and I mean, we're much bigger now, but 120 of us, we, God gave us a vision, raised $100 million, $100 million Hong Kong dollars over a three-year period of time. And so I, was, I started teaching and, and, and leading our church through this. I was explaining what, what that means. And, it was, and, and what it did, it had us actually define who we are. And so we we're very fortunate. We actually had a young lady at our church uh, who was a McKinsey consultant you know, Stanford University, I mean, incredibly brilliant young woman. And she basically helps businesses, corporations, you know, Fortune 500 companies define their vision, mission values. And so she came and basically pro bono, and it was, it was awesome. She used to sit there and she would talk with me for hours. And I, I would just like, I just share all these things. And then she would collate everything I shared and come up with our vision, mission values. And, and so it really helped us define who we were. And so we laid out our values. This is our vision statement. This is our mission statement. Our mission statement, by the way, is to know him, to be like him, and to make him known. Everything that we do, that's part of our mission. It's got to be about knowing him, being like him, transformation, and then making him known, outreach. And so, every, and so, so but we were able to define all these things. And then, we, and then we went to the church, and it was crazy. God spoke to me, and it was, it was just before 2008, Remember what happened in 2008? Global financial crisis. We were actually at our retreat. And you got to know, at that time, probably our church was probably about 70% bankers. Would you say like bankers, lawyers, right? Like useless people, you know? And so I was them all the time. Yeah, useless. Because, you know, like, you know what a church needs? Church need like, like uh, doctors, dentists, plumbers, mechanics, you know, cooks. You know what I mean? And stuff. Bankers and lawyers, they can't do anything for you, man. Because like the lawyers, they're not even like, like they're corporate lawyers. So they're just doing contract law. Like if you get arrested, they can't help you. You know what I mean? Not, not that we'd ever get arrested, right? And stuff. And so, uh, so any case, so we're, we're, we're going through this whole thing and, and we're actually at our retreat and because all our retreats are in China we're coming back, and all the guys are opening up their Blackberries after our, and it's lighting up. Lehman Brothers and all these things, right? I mean, it's just crazy. Tons of our guys lost their jobs. 
right, and stuff. And in the and just before that, God spoke to me and our leaders said, "We're going to start a capital campaign." That's just that's just dumb. <laughs> I told God, I said, "God, that's dumb." I'm serious. I said, that is the, ridic- the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. There is no way I'm going to raise funds with our church when our guys are losing their jobs. And if they're not losing their jobs, they're terrified that they might lose their job tomorrow. It was that bad, if you remember 2008. And so I sat on it a whole year. I just prayed, and I just couldn't get that feeling out of my spirit. And so 2009, I said, guys... I first, I apologized, and I said, hey, I'm really sorry, but we're going to enter in a three-year campaign, and God's going to do some amazing things, and we're going to start by doing a first fruit offering, and so, you know, we're going to come, and we're just going to dedicate and give to the Lord, and so we actually had, I think we had something, it was our service, and we had some basket in the front, and I was talking about you know, when, in, in, uh, uh, when David was building the temple and people were bringing all of their, their, their goods and he actually told him, stop, stop, you know, we got too much stuff now. You know, so I was, I was expecting that to happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> I was waiting that Sunday. It's like, oh, okay, no, you don't have to bring any more money. We got, we got it all now. And so, but people gave, it was, it was one of the most beautiful things you'd ever see. People were coming up and they were saying, oh, you know, Pastor Sam, I, I, I don't have any liquid cash right now, but uh, my wife has this ring that's been in her family for four generations. And we want to give this diamond ring to the church. And other people said, like, you know, I, I don't have anything, but, you know, but I've got a watch that, you know, my dad gave me, you know, and so on and so forth. And I want to give that. I, we had so much jewelry. I'm serious. Like, I could open up a pawn shop after that. <laughs> well, I, so we had so much jewelry. We had so many watches. We had diamond rings. Check this out. One of our guys is actually a YWAM missionary. He went home that summer, and the Lord spoke to him to buy a diamond ring because he's going to get married. And so he prophetic act. So he went and, and emptied out all of his savings, went and bought a diamond ring, brought it back to Hong Kong. And that service, God spoke to him and says, give away your ring. And so he gave away his diamond ring. He brought it to the altar. And I was like, I can't take that, man. I ain't taking your ring. You know, and God said, just shut up, son, and just, <laughs> just receive, okay? And so he, he, he passed it along. It was, uh, seriously, it was the most beautiful thing that you'd ever see. And the only reason they would do that, because they envisioned it. They saw themselves in the vision. They saw their kids, kids, kids that will be going to this church and they wanted to sow into it you have to envision it it's it's it's, it's got to be a part of that and i tell you there was so much joy so much joy i'll tell you i'll tell you my story real quick okay i'm not trying to brag or anything but maybe to encourage some of you so my wife and i because we planted this church we knew that at some point Space was going to be, space was already an issue. And so we needed to do this. So we, we've, been, we've been saving up money for years. I mean, even, even way from the beginning of the church. And we're saving up money, saving up money. And we actually, by the grace of God, we saved $50,000 U.S. And that was our first fruit offering. But then we had people do pledges. And the simple idea was like, this is what I can give. And then we did a faith pledge of this is, if God blesses me, this is what I'm going to give. 
you know, uh, above and beyond. So we did, my wife and I did the first one, 50K. And then we were praying individually. And my wife, we love doing this. It's, it's so fun, man. And this is one of the beautiful parts about being married is you get to pray about giving to others. And so we're sitting there and we're praying. And, and we asked God to give me a number. And my wife, Lisa, asked to give, you know, her number. And we both got the same exact number, 100,000. And so, but, but because I, I, I still kind of think American, so I thought it was 100,000 uh, um, U.S. My wife got 100,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is much better, actually, because <laughs> that's $13,000, right, compared to 100,000. But my wife and I, we got together, we started, we started looked at each other and says, we, we knew what we had to do. It was 100K U.S. It was what required more faith. All right, that was more pleasing to the Lord. And so, but now, so we wrote it in and we're like, all right, you know, we emptied out our savings, right? We got no money now. Lord, how in the world are you going to come up in this next year with the other $50,000? I mean, we're, we're tapped out, you know, and long story short, it happened. It was, it was actually miraculous. You know, uh, I mean, long story short, actually someone had actually given us a house, and uh, uh, in Kuala Lumpur, I, I never even seen it. Actually, didn't give us a house, but gave us money to, for a down payment uh, on a house. And basically, basically said, you know, like, uh, you want to invest in this thing? I said, yeah, I, sure I do, but I have no money. He goes, don't worry, I'll take care of the down payment. And so he did the down payment. And it was kind of one of those, those uh, uh, property things where, like, you paid in installments because they were still building the house. And so in the moment the year was over, the house got finished. We closed on the house and then I realized that's the other provision. I didn't even, I never even saw this house. I never even been, been in this place. We sold the house and it was, it was crazy. When we bought the house, the ringgit, right, was not favorable. By the time we sold the house, the ringgit was in our favor. So we actually got a, a bigger chunk of money. Sold the house. I, I gave the money to my, my church member, you know, the, whatever he gave me for the down payment and things, I gave it to him. And sure enough, we had actually had a little bit over 50K. One of the things I prayed for, because, you know, I, I, I asked the Lord, God, I would like to buy my dad a really nice watch. That was like, as a son, I want to bless my dad. And I had exactly enough money to buy, to give the other 50K, right, to the Lord and buy my dad a nice Rolex. And it like, it was perfect. And I tell you, this is honest truth. I've never felt more joy in my life writing that check. Yeah, I, I, honest to goodness, I, this is not like, I, I, I felt so much joy that God gave me the ability to bless my church and to bless his house in that way. But the only way you can do that is if you envision it. You have to see yourself in the vision. If you don't see yourself in the vision, there's no way anyone's going to sacrifice. Right? We're selfish, Right? Why would I sacrifice for other people? I don't even know who they are. You got to see yourself in that place. And it was actually one of our brothers. He says something so profound. And, and he's, he's our lay pastor. He's actually the only lay pastor in our whole movement. And, and he, he said this. And he said, you know what? If you think about it, every single one of us, we have actually been basically, we've received and we've been having the benefit of someone else's sacrifice. In other words, all the churches we went to is our parents, our grandparents, other generations. They pay for the chairs. They pay for the walls. They pay for, they pay for all this stuff. And we are walking in through their blessing. 
And he turned to the congregation and he says, now it's our time to sacrifice. We've been living off other people's sacrifices. Now it's our time to sacrifice. And, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. We had people, uh, check this out. We had this guy, he's a non-believer. He's actually married to one of our sisters at our church who's, who's really on fire. And the only reason he came to church is because he wanted to go on a surfing trip uh, when she was carrying twins. Right, so she had twins, and he wanted to go on a surfing trip. He does his annual yearly surfing trip with his buddies in Australia for two weeks. And she was really smart. She says, I'll let you go on this trip, but you're coming to church with me for six months. Every Sunday, you're coming with me for six months every Sunday. And sure enough, you know, because so he, he wanted to go on a surfing trip so bad. You know, he's, 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 a, he's an Aussie. And so, so, so that's what happened. So now, unfortunately, I've been talking about the Vision Fund those six months. And so it's kind of bad timing, but he comes, he actually sits in the back of the baby room the whole time. And, and, you know, just kind of, you know, just playing with his kids basically. And then sure enough, no, it wasn't, it wasn't pregnant. It was pregnant with a third kid because they already had the twins. And so sure enough, uh, I preached the message and he turns to his wife and he says, what should we give? And she nearly fell out of the chair. (laughs) Seriously, she nearly fell out of the chair. He goes, what should we give? And then she says, why don't you pray? I was like, I don't even believe in this God. Actually, he told me straight up, I, was, I hate God. He told me straight up, I hate God. And, but he started praying. And you know what the Lord spoke to him? He actually had a house. He had an apartment. He bought this apartment before he got married. And so it's right, if you're in Hong Kong, it's right on mid-levels. It's on the escalator. And yeah, Cane Road, right? Prime property is where all the young expats live. And so basically... Uh, he gave the apartment to the church, and and so we sold it. And uh, it, wouldn't you believe it got the highest ever in that whole building? And God just so blessed. And he just, he just and so I, I turned to the church. And I said, "Hey, man, non-believer can give." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, guy doesn't even believe in Jesus. You guys believe in Jesus? I mean, you get you get you get what I'm trying to say, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy, but we saw those things. But again, those only things can happen if you envision it. You have to see yourself in the vision. If you don't see yourself in the vision, honestly, you're kind of just wasting time. You're just wasting time. For us, so many people caught the vision. And it, see, it wasn't about a building. It wasn't about a space. It's what God was doing with our tribe. It's what God was doing with our family. And people wanted to sow into that vision. I pray. Now, I, I know, listen, I know you guys went through all kinds of drama and stuff like that. But down the road, you're going to do a vision campaign. Because this church is going to grow. You're going to need space. Things, the, the things need to take place. And my prayer is that it would be done not only in a healthy way, but you would see yourself in that vision. Right? And, and it wouldn't be something out of coercion, or, but you would feel so much joy. That's the, that's the biggest check I ever wrote in my life. And I tell you, I was so filled with joy. I would have never experienced that had not God challenged my wife and I in this. It's amazing how that works. You have to envision it. The first part of the vision cycle is to envision it. Tremendous warfare, but incredible rewards. Envision it. You have to see yourself in the vision. In other words, you have to own that vision for yourself. 
Like that mighty army is you. It's you. If you don't see that, I think you're kind of wasting your time here. Envision. Number two, the next part of the cycle. Envision, number two, this is what, this, now the enemy gets involved trying to upset this vision. You know what he brings? He brings division. Division. So, I'm sorry. I, I forgot to give you the text. It's Genesis. I'm going to run through the narrative of Abram. Okay. So, envision Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Let me just read this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And so you should be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the vision that God had given to Abram. He he had to envision that. That's who he was. It's out of his seed that the nations would be blessed. And then after that becomes division. So, if you look at verse 4, remember he says, he says, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house. And in verse 4, and Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. He totally disobeyed God. (laughs) You know, this is, you know why I believe the Bible? You know why I believe that the Jewish, the Israelites, the Jewish people are God's chosen people? You know why? You know, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I, I know a few things here and there. You, it's simply because their whole story is about failure. Like, if I'm, if I'm going to write a story about my people, it's going to be all the triumphs. You know what I mean? I'm going to talk about all the good stuff that we did. Basically, the, the history of, of Israel is failure, disobedience after another. Even from the beginning of this, from the absolute beginning Abraham, I've chosen you. Go forth. Leave your country. Leave your relatives. Leave your home. And what does he do? He brings his nephew with him. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Like if you're a leader and like you got like some crazy people, you know what I mean? And you told them something and they just failed it and they did it the next day. It's okay. Because that's what the Bible's all about. It's about people that fail all the time. Even from the onset of this. And so what happens, God, what, um, I said part of this vision is there becomes division. In, in Genesis 13, the next chapter, verse 6 to 7, it says, And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot. And so they make a decision. They resolve basically to go to different directions. Basically, Lot and Abram just basically said, man, you go left, I'm going to go right. Right? You go south, I'm going north. Like, like we, we, this is, there's too much trouble. In other words, there's division that's happening here in this place. And so, but let me, let me break this down. Division happens two ways. This is, this is how the enemy works. There's division. In other words, there's two visions. Lot had a vision. Abram had a vision. It didn't work. They needed to separate. But let me just play on words a little bit. But generally what the enemy does with the division, two visions, what he really wants to do, he wants to die vision. In other words, he wants to kill the vision. That's ultimately 
what he's after. He wants to make sure that what God had intended for you, for your family, for your church and your nation, he wants to kill that vision. It's not just division, it's die vision. He doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want you to walk in that place of vision. The enemy will always come to upset the vision and try to kill it. Let me, let me, let me give you this, this simple uh, thing to, to understand. Remember, this, is, this is basically spiritual warfare. I sum it up really quick. Think about this. Man can only add. God multiplies. But the devil divides. Just remember that. You remember that, man, you're going to live a really fruitful Christian life. Man can only add. God multiplies. Actually, it's exponential. And Lucifer always divides. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring division. Division, disunity, also die vision. See, the, the difficulties will come. The enemy will try to bring division into his house. See, when tough times come, the first thing that we usually do is we question if we're ever called at all. And we ask ourselves, was this ever God's will? Did God really speak to us? Damn straight he spoke to you. I'm serious, he spoke to you. You just don't recognize that, it's, that the devil is trying to upset this vision. But we start questioning God all these things. We say, did he really say this? Is this really? Now, okay, take this with a grain of salt, okay? I know in the midst of the difficulty that's been going on at New Philly, some of you guys have been asking, was it even real? Like, like did I really get touched by God? Was it God or was it Pastor Christian? You know, what was, was any of this real at all? Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, it was real. It was real. It was the Lord. You really were called. You were touched by him. It wasn't a man. It was God. Right? And, 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 and you, need to, you need to get this deep within. See, when we dwell on these kinds of thoughts, it makes us schizophrenic. Actually, James, he has a better term from that. He says you become double-minded. That's what it means when you have division. You see two different things. James 1, 5 to 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's what happens when we start seeing two visions. That's when disunity begins to come in. We become unstable because we become double-minded. This is what James is talking about. So Abram and Lot, they resolve to go different directions. In other words, there was Division, right? Disunity that's happening here. And so he had to cut it out right then and there. He said, you go left, I go right. And, and if you go right, I'm going to go left. And this, this happens. Now, let me, let me just share this. this, this is, just, just take it with a grain of salt. 
Look at what happens after the division is removed. Now, I believe that's basically what happened here, right? It was removed. And so look what happens. Look at Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that anyone can number the dust of the earth. Then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Let me say that again. Sometimes the division must be removed before the promise comes. Sometimes the division must be removed before the promise comes. There is a promise over this house. There, I'm sorry, there is a promise over this house. There is a vision over this house. There's a redemptive gift. There's a reason why you exist on this planet here in Seoul. And so you got to find out that whatever that redemptive thing is. Because you got to recognize the church is God's precious bride. It's his precious bride. New Philadelphia church is God's precious bride. See, it's amazing. I, I Honestly, I, I pity the fools, man, that keep making fun of church. You know what I mean? That they're always bagging on church. I, I, I really pity them because there ain't no God or no jealous person in the world like our God. He is a jealous God. And, and think about this. In my, in, my, in my family, you can talk all the crap you want about me. I, I don't really care anyway, right? I mean, honestly, you can say all kinds of stuff about me. But you talk about my wife? I'm going to mess you up, man. I'm serious. Like you say, you talk about my wife, man, I'm going to open up a can of, you know what, you know what I mean? <laughs> and stuff. That's exactly how God works. God says, it's cool, man. You know, you can talk about me all you want. Some people do that all the time. You know, they curse at me and sin. But you start talking about my bride like that. I'm going to mess you up, man. See, people don't understand that. And they take all kinds of pot shots at the church. I, I pity them. I said, man, you, you have no idea what you're asking for right now. You just mess with Jesus' bride. That's who we are, the church. Right? And so there's been a lot of messing around with this bride for a while. Right? And God's going to start avenging these things. New Philly, you are God's precious bride. You are his precious bride. Now, let me give you a challenge here in this place. This is really simple. You know, I mean, really simple. If this is really the church, and this is a church that you're called to, let's give our best to it. Amen? Uh, no, no coercion. Uh, you know, I'm forcing you to do anything. But let's give our best to this house. Because honestly, look, if this ain't it, you're not doing anyone any favors by being here. I, I'm not trying to kick you out, okay? I, I have no authority to do that anyway, all right? Honestly, I'm just, I'm just being honest. And things, but this is, this is God's bride. This is, this is what God wants to do in this city through this house of, believe, of believers. And so, and so if this ain't it, don't play the motions, man. Just go somewhere else. You're not, doing one, you're not doing anyone any favors by sticking around and maybe in some ways bringing division into this house. 
And so, because, you know why? This is why I say, because you deserve, as a child of God, you deserve to be part of a church, a family of believers. You, need to be, you deserve to be part of a church where you feel loved, a church that you want to give to, a church you want to serve in, a church that you can be served yourself. You know what I mean? And stuff. And so if you're just coming to church, just going through the motions, go somewhere else, man. Because there's a church out there for you that you want to get married in. You want to raise your kids in that house. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you, you would die for that place. That's, that's his bride. And, and, and a lot of us, we feel like oh, we're doing people. You're not doing anyone any favors. The best thing you can do is go find that church family that you deserve as a child of God. You guys feeling me? You guys understand what I'm saying? I'm, listen, I'm not trying to kick you out, okay? That's the furthest thing. But as a child of God, you deserve to be part of that house. Now, I know some of you guys are transitory. You know, like I, I talked to so many of you. It seems like you guys are all exchange students, you know, for whatever reason. Like I meet all these people. I was like, what are you doing here? I'm, I'm just an exchange student. Listen, this is what I'll tell you. Prosper where you're planted. Prosper where you're planted. God has you in this house, maybe for a short season, one semester or one year or whatever it may be. This is what I tell my people in my church. Prosper where you're planted. God planted you in this place. What happens here will bring dividends wherever else you go later on. But if you're loosey-goosey and I'm going to check out this place, I'm going to check out this place, the girls are cuter over here, and you know, you know what I mean, they get better food over there and stuff. Again, you're not doing anyone any favors in that regard. Honestly, you're not doing any favors. Prosper where you're planted. If God has you for one semester or one year, do the best that one semester, that one year. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's got to be a part of our DNA. This is, this is how we do it. This is how we, we break out of the division, and particularly this division that happens. And, and, and so it's, it's important. All right. Again, you deserve as a child of God to be part of a church community that you're willing to give, serve, and sacrifice for. If New Philly is not it, then you should go find that place. It, it, really, it really will be the best thing that you can do. I'm sure the leaders will bless you to, to go and find that place because you deserve that as a child of God. You know what I mean? You're not doing anyone fa- any favors by sticking around and causing division or, you know, whatever. maybe you're not doing any of that. I'm not, I'm not assuming that that's, that goes together, but maybe something that happens. And then, you know what happens after that? So you envision it. Then the enemy brings division. And then what happens to us, God brings revision. We revise revise genesis thirteen eighteen. it says then abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of mamre which are in hebron and there he built an altar to the lord the oaks of mamre are named after one of ally of abram's mamre actually means strength and fatness that's what god had intended for abram but because he walked in disobedience there was strife and so God had Abram revise the vision. The oaks of Abraham, even to this day, are also called the oaks of rest. The oaks of rest. Abram finds strength, fruitfulness, and rest as he revises the vision. There's a revision that takes place. You get back to the vision. This is what I believe that God's asking New Philly Church in this hour. Go back to the vision. 
Go back to what God had called you to do. Go back to the original plan of God, but revise it. Revise it. It doesn't, it, it, trust me, it won't look the same. It's going to look totally different, but the vision is going to remain the same. It's raising up a mighty army. It's going to look a little different. It's not going to be so militant. And hopefully it'll come out of this place of rest. You, you know, brothers and sisters, quite honestly, God does his best work out of rest. You, you know what the greatest thing that was ever created on this planet, you know what it was? What was the greatest thing that ever created in this planet? What was it? Eve. It wasn't Adam. It was Eve. Right? Because think about this. Adam is made out of the dust of the ground. Right? You've seen this. And so, that's why if you're a guy and someone ever called you a dirtbag. (laughs) Listen. Theologically correct. (laughs) Right? Uh, Seriously. Totally theological correct. We are dirt bags because we are made out of the dust of the we're just, our skin is just we're just dirt. I mean, I know I'm just deep, man. Right? <laughs> so, but God creates Adam or creates Eve out of what was already perfected. That means women, you are twice perfected. Think about this. God, everything God makes. Think about this. Everything God makes, He says it's good. He makes Adam, and he says, it's very good. I mean, it's very good. But, you know, he makes Eve. It's very, very, very good. <laughs> oh, man, that sounded really silly. But he takes, think about it. God takes what's already perfected, and he perfects it again. He takes what was refined and refines it again. That's women. Why do you think the devil has been trying to bring you down? You know what I mean? Why do you think he's been going to war? You know, all these different things. And, and unfortunately, people are moving towards feminism. That's not the answer. The answer is recapturing biblical Christianity and what God had intended between men and women. That's the answer right there. You were twice defined. What, how did God make women? It's when Adam was asleep. God does his best work when we're at rest. He does his best work when we're at rest. New Philly used to work, and it was hostile and agile, you know, all all those things. And It's going to be a new season of rest. God's going to do his best work in that place of rest. And God's going to teach you to rest. God's going to teach you to have Sabbath. This this is, see, same vision. You see that? Same vision, but it's going to look different because God brings revision. That's the result of division. God redeems the division, and he brings a revision. He tweaks it a little bit. Same vision. You see that? Same vision, but it just, it just operates a little bit differently. And now it comes out of that, whoa, it comes out of that place of rest. It's important. See, things no longer are black and white because there's a lot of gray area. And so we start operating in the gray. I love the gray. Honestly, I love the gray area. You know, I I used to be so black and white before, and now I'm so comfortable in gray. In fact, we call it the radical middle. That's what it's about. It's the radical middle, man. It's it's, it's that middle space. I love it now. And that's what God does. He has us revise these things. You know, when we're young, I mean, we're like crazy. 
I was having this conversation with a really good friend of mine, and we're talking about John Calvin, uh, particularly his work at the institutes. And we said this, and we're both talking. We said, you know what? I, I kid you not, John Calvin, if he had wrote institutes much later on in his life, it would look very different than it looks now. Because, you know, institute, you know he wrote that in his 20s. You don't know nothing in your 20s, man. <laughs> I'm serious. You think you know something? You know Jack in your 20s. I'm sorry to offend many of you 20-year-olds, right? But take it from a wise 50-year-old man here, right? I'm your, I'm your, I'm your, Ajishi, right? <laughs> so take it from, I'm serious, man. You think you know something? Just wait until you get older. You're going to realize it's much different. I'm, for, I'm, for, I'm telling you for sure, Calvin's Institutes, probably the church that you know today would be very changed if Calvin wrote it much later on. Actually, my mentor, he told me straight up, my mentor, uh, he, he actually did his doctorate of Phil at Oxford University studying the, the English Reformation. And he told me straight up, he says, I can prove that Calvin was not a Calvinist. And I could prove it through his later writings. It's true. Right, and and he, I mean, he's got all the, the the anecdotal evidence to prove it. It would be totally changed, and so that's why, right? Young, all these things happen, and God brings a revision. It's a very natural thing that happens in the course of a cycle. And then, let me finish the last one, number four. You ready for this one? This one's fun. So, there's envision, then there's division, and then God redeems and brings revision. And you know what comes after that? Provision. Right? Come on. You, you don't have to be a scientist to figure that one out. Because I've been using vision the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't get that by now. Let me give you the text. Again, run through this narrative of Abram. In Genesis 21, 1-2, he says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah, as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. See, it's a cycle. And then God has provision. In other words, everything you need for the vision. Everything you need for the vision. That's how, that's how it works. That's how God wants to manifest this. See, finances, these things, these things are easy for the Lord. They're so easy for the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all of my needs, all of your needs, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, the shortage of resources should never keep us away from God's vision. The shortage of resources should never keep us away. Remember Friday night? Some of you guys were here. Can you imagine what you can do with one piece of bread? If you don't know what I just meant by that, you need to go listen to that message, right? Can you imagine what he can do with just one piece of bread? You know, one of the things that we say at our church, and this is actually from day one, he says, we're, we're a church family. We're going to be dictated by vision and not by finances. That's what we said. We're going to be dictated by vision and not by finances. And we've been around for, for almost this February will be 16 years and I'm proud to say in 16 years, we've never not done anything that we, that we believe God asked us to do because of finances. God always provided. And he didn't just, listen, he didn't give us scraps. There was always an abundance that came 
is provision. God takes care of that part. We need to take care of the other part. We got to see ourselves in the vision. We got to get through the division. We got to come to that place of revision. And then God brings to us his provision. That's, 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 that's how this thing works in our place. You know, we, we say this at our church, right? If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Where he guides, he provides. Look, those, listen, those are not just catchy slogans. We live this out every single day in our house. And God just generously blesses. But see, provision comes last. Most people want that first. If you give it to me, I'll do it, God. God said, no, 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 no. There ain't no shortcuts, son. Ain't no shortcuts to this thing. Provision comes last. You need to envision it. Then division will always, what if it's God's vision? Division will always come. Then it leads us to a revision. And then God brings provision. See, it seems in the midst of our busyness, a lot of times we get sidetracked for whatever reason. And we find ourselves without vision again. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. You can close your eyes.